And so in part of our prayers this morning, somebody had prayed something that uh, I think is so so profound and yet simple is that, you know, our prayer was that the Lord would prepare each of us for a time of worship today, but that it wouldn't be the first time that we're worshiping God, that uh, that this would be uh, maybe the first time we're worshiping God this week uh, in community, but that we are worshiping the Lord all throughout the week in many different ways. So, um, you know, it is good to be back. We had mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that we were headed out on a road trip. And, you know, we're, we're going through the book of Acts and we're seeing the beginnings of the church, of the Christian church. And there's some themes that develop and some sub-themes there. And we know that the, uh, the title of our series of going through the book of Acts is Church on a Mission or the Unstoppable Mission of the Church. And uh, a big part of that is looking at the travels of the Apostle Paul and the other early disciples in spreading the gospel. And, you know, they covered thousands of miles and many years in their journeys. And today, as we finish chapter 18, we're going to be looking at the end of the second missionary journey. But, you know, uh, my family and I went on a journey, um, not quite as long, but we, uh, as you uh, had mentioned, we drove out to Chicago and uh, that's quite a drive. You know, on the map, it looks like, man, it's like this, you know, this far. But um, it's about 13 hours of driving. But, that, you know, then if you have to add in stops and, and all that, you know, it was quite longer. But we actually decided to drive through the night because we had three of us that could drive. So we took turns kind of napping and driving and, and uh, made it there the next uh, morning. And it was great. It was a great time of family because all five of us we're together. We hadn't been with all three kids together in one place for a while. And we got to celebrate uh, a, Chris, a beautiful Christian wedding between two young uh, believers who are just uh, just on fire for the Lord and, uh, and just excited about their love for one another. And so it was a, a great time of being able to, to help with that. Um, my daughter Julie and I helped, helped to lead worship during the, the, um, the ceremony. Isn't that cool that they had worship like during the wedding, you know? And so... There's also something that I thought I'd share. It has really nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I thought you'd find this, this really interesting and fun. But something that the, the, the bride did as a surprise to the groom and to all the guests is that she actually paid to fly out the mascot from each of their colleges that they graduated from. And so she was a big Rutgers fan and graduated from Rutgers. So the, so the person who plays the Scarlet Knight at all the Rutgers home games actually came out and came out onto the dance floor in his costume as a scarlet knight and was dancing up a storm the whole night. And the groom had graduated from Georgia Tech, and their mascot is a, a bee. And so the, the bee came out in, in all its glory, and they were dancing. And, and then the two mascots, the, the, the scarlet knight and the bee, they were dancing together. And everybody was taking pictures with them, and it was awesome. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot, it just kind of made for a little bit more fun for that evening and uh, it was a really good time. But here's how our trip began. We got in the car, we couldn't leave until about 8 o'clock on a Thursday night before the weekend and um, so we knew that we'd probably drive through the night and so we got in the car and we prayed and God would bless us and keep us safe and then we pulled out of the driveway and from the back seat I heard, are we there yet? Now, who was it that said that? But it was my wife, Claudia. Because we knew we had such a long trip ahead of us, right? 
And I think we've all experienced that, whether we've said it or we've had kids in the back seat saying it. Maybe we've said it ourselves. But you start out on some kind of journey and you wonder, are we there yet? Sometimes it's because you're afraid of what's to come or you don't know what's about to happen. And so you're just, you just kind of want to get there. You want to get to where you're heading. But we know, and it's been said often, it's even a cliche, that life really is all about the journey. Right? It's not necessarily just the destination, although as followers of Christ, we know, as we said earlier, where our home is and our final destination. But living the Christian life truly is a beautiful journey. And we only really know one step at a time as the Lord reveals Himself to us. And so we take one step at a time with God by our side and often just carrying us through. But it certainly is a journey. But often, Maybe too often we ask along the way, are we there yet? And you know, it's interesting because many Christians fall into one of two categories. Either you're living the Christian life and you believe that you've already arrived and that you know everything there is to know and you've been in church for, you know, 30 or 40 years. You know how to live this Christian life and there's really nothing new to learn. And that's dangerous. But I can tell you what also is just as dangerous is not necessarily believing you've already arrived, but always waiting until you think you've arrived. Too many of us don't get about serving the Lord in the church or elsewhere, or get about learning and growing and getting involved and really um, taking serious ownership of your faith Because you just feel always inadequate. Like, I will serve the Lord, or I will start praying, or I'll start reading more of of God's Word when I'm feeling it, or when I feel like I've grown more. I just need to mature more. I'm just not quite there yet. Unfortunately, many Christians spend their whole lives just saying, just wait until I, wait, wait until I get there. And that's just as dangerous, and here's why. What we're going to see in our passage of Scripture today is that we are all a work in progress. But not only that, God in His infinite sovereignty and wisdom chooses to use us while He's working on us. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes we start a project and it's like, whatever it is we're making or doing, we it's not going to be useful until we're done, but... We know that Scripture tells us in Colossians that we are complete in Christ. It doesn't mean we've arrived, but it means that we have been equipped as the Spirit of God lives within us. Being saved, as we would say, and understanding our new life in Christ, that we have everything that we need then to step out in faith and serve the Lord. It's something we talked about often in youth ministry as a youth pastor, we would talk about, you know, as teenagers, you could see in Scripture how many times God chose young people who were often just teens or young adults to do amazing things for Him and His kingdom. And it wasn't like they had to wait until they reached a certain age or a certain maturity. God was ready to use them right away. And it could be very encouraging, but the same message should be encouraging for us as well. As grown adults and those who are still growing, not grown all the way, right? But growing, 
that God, along the way, as He's working on us and growing us, wants to use us for His glory and for His kingdom. So we're going to see that today in Acts. So um, if you would, you can turn in your Bibles to it or it's going to be up on the screen. It's Acts 18. And it's verses 18 to 28. It's the last 10 or 11 verses. And uh, again, this is sort of marking the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So we're starting to trace those now through our study of Acts. We've seen quite a bit up through 18 chapters already. A lot of stories, a lot of interesting characters. We're going to meet uh, a couple more today. But again, as we read the passage... Here's what, what I'd like you to keep in mind, just as, um, just as a context. Remember that God is working on us all, each and every day. But yet we have a part to play in that. We have to allow Him to work on us. We have to allow Him to use His Spirit within us to convict us, to encourage us, Right? to move us to seek after Him. So we have to allow Him to do that, to work on us. But even as a work in progress, God wants to use us to do amazing things for Him. And we should expect that we can do amazing things for God because we serve an amazing God, right? And I'm going to share with you at the end of our brief message today some scriptures that can be really encouraging to you about how it is that we don't have to worry about trying to do anything for God of our own strength, but it's all from His power and for His glory. So I want to read this for you. Uh, this is Acts 18, 18 to 28. This is Paul returning back to the city of Antioch and the church there. But then the last few verses we meet a, an interesting person named Apollos. And you'll see how these people sort of all fit in to this idea of being a work in progress. Okay, So here is Acts 18, 18 to 28. After this, meaning what happened in the first part of Acts 18, Paul stayed many days longer, but then he took leave of the brothers and he set sail for Syria. Remember, this is sort of the end of his second journey. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila, they were with him on the journey. At Sencrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. They came to Ephesus... And he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he did say, I will return to you if God wills. But then he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. So after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. But now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, he came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him. And they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now perhaps as I read that through and you saw it on the screen or you're reading in your Scriptures, you kind of had the same thought I did when I read this for the first time in a long time in preparing for the message. I said, what just happened? There's a lot that's going on here. So we have to remember this, keeping it in context. We are looking at the book of Acts. It's really a book of history of the beginning of the church. There's obviously theology that we've talked about that comes out. There's a lot of great principles for living the Christian life. And we're getting to meet a lot of uh, wonderful people from the early church. But let's remember that this is, this is Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, writing Acts as a history of the beginning of the Christian church and how it was formed. And we keep seeing the Holy Spirit doing His thing and they had to let the Holy Spirit lead them. And so here, again, as the end of Paul's second missionary journey, as it comes to a close, Luke is writing the account of what happened. Now sometimes Luke elaborates on things. But other times, like he does here in the first part of this, this, um, this passage, he just kind of summarizes. When he says that Paul went here and there, and he kind of he went here and then he dashed over here, and he went to all these cities, these few verses cover hundreds and hundreds of miles and actually many months even years so it's pretty interesting so i just want to give you a quick summary of what happened here because then in verse 24 to 28 we meet apollos that's a little bit more specific and there's a reason a good reason that luke includes that but what happens in verses 18 to 23 is simply this right paul continued to travel around But we know that Luke threw some things in there that we kind of scratch our head like, what does this mean? It says at Sancria he cut his hair for he was under a vow. It says nothing else about that. So we really don't know what kind of vow did he take. Why did he do it? Was it a a Nazarene, like a Nazarite vow? Was it, did he make some kind of commitment? We know in, in the Old Testament there was vows that people would make and Maybe it shows that he still had an affinity for the Old Testament scriptures and laws. We just don't know because it doesn't say what the vow was. But we know that Luke put it in there, that he cut his hair because he had been under a vow. So probably the vow, he was done keeping the vow, so he had grown his hair through it, and now he cut his hair. So Paul is a work in progress, isn't he? He's going through things even though this is maybe 20, 30 years after the Damascus Road experience, right? When he came to know Christ as Savior, he has been a follower of Christ and a preacher of the Gospel for decades, but he is still a work in progress. And so it says they came to Ephesus. He left them there. He went to the synagogue. And look at this. It, it said in verse 20, it was doing a good job. They asked him to stay, but he declined. Can you imagine that? I mean, Paul was always looking for an audience, Right? So he preached the gospel. They said, stay and teach us more. He was like, no. That doesn't see, that's weird, right? But it doesn't say why. So evidently, evidently, Paul had something else going on. He had another agenda. He knew the Spirit was leading him elsewhere. So he even declined and he said, I'll return to you if God wills. But he's basically saying, now is not the time. 
So he cut his hair because there was some kind of vow. He said no to staying longer. He went up and greeted when he landed at Caesarea. It says he went up, he greeted the church, then he went down to Antioch. He kind of stopped in and said, hey, and then he left. I mean, it doesn't say how long, what he said. So Luke is kind of just maybe tying up loose ends. Because we're going to see in verse 19 that our journey through Acts kind of takes a new step in a different direction, a new transition. So again, we have to keep in context how uh, Luke is writing this, okay? And so he um, he kind of ends that part and says, after spending some time there, he went from one place to the next, strengthening all the disciples. So we know what Paul was all about. But then Luke decides to introduce to us a person named Apollos. And Apollos, it says, was a native of Alexandria, and he came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures, and he instructed. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So what we see is that there is another person who is fervent for the Gospel, just like Paul, who God is using. See, Acts is not all about just Paul and his missionary journeys doing it on his own. Here's another guy. Luke is as, it's as if Luke was saying, while Paul was going from city to city, strengthening the disciples, there was other people preaching the gospel. And they were doing a great job. And then you see Priscilla and Aquila, and they come up and they help him. And so I'm going to elaborate on that in just a minute. But here, that's what's happening. See, there are many people that are coming to know the Lord Jesus. And here's what they're doing. They're learning the truth, and then they're sharing the truth. What a great concept, right? That is how, listen, that is how God is building His church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And that doesn't mean that He would just build it and then stop. That's an ongoing principle that Jesus continues to build His church because who's the church? We are. So He is building us and growing us because we are a work in progress until the day that He returns for us. Right? But we can see it here with Paul. Right? The Apostle Paul was a work in progress. He had some kind of vow and then he cut his hair and he's going from city to city and he's learning what it takes to reach those in the synagogue. Remember when he was in Athens in the marketplace and he had to be clever to figure out how could he have an in to share the Gospel. See, even Paul, who at this point had been a Christian for decades, is still growing in his understanding of the faith, and what it means to him, and how to share it, and how to live it out. So Paul, even the great Apostle Paul, is a work in progress. Philippians three twelve to 16 Paul writes this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. See, what is Paul saying there? He's like, not that I've already obtained it or perfect. He says, I'm not there yet. And at this point, it had been almost 30 years that he had been following Christ. So even as mature believers, if 
you've been a believer for 50 years and been following Christ, you haven't arrived yet. You're not there yet. By any stretch, there are always more to learn about the God that we love and serve. There's always more room for growth. Isn't that right? We also see that not only Paul, but this interesting couple that we see in, that we meet in the, the second half of this passage, Priscilla and Aquila, they are also a work in progress. Here's what we see. We meet um, Apollos, right? And it says he's from Alexandria, and he was an eloquent man, and he's preaching the Word of God. He's being fervent in spirit, okay? But here's what it says in verse 25. It says, being fervent in spirit... He spoke and taught accurately. This is important. Now we look at this. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. There's something missing here. It says that he spoke accurately of the things concerning Jesus, but at that point he only knew the baptism of John. But look what happens next. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but... When Priscilla and Aquila, who are Christians at this point, followers of Christ, right? They're, they're with Paul on his journey. They heard him in the synagogue preaching. They took him aside afterwards and explained to him the way of God more accurately. How about that? So here's what happened. There is this guy, Apollos, who knows of the Messiah from the Old Testament Scriptures, and he's preaching it in the synagogue. But it says he only knew about John the Baptist. He says he only knew the baptism of John. So here's this guy that God is using to bring others to start thinking about the Messiah who needs to come. But yet he only knew about John the Baptist. So we don't know for sure. But either he knew about Jesus' ministry but just didn't know that he was resurrected which is obviously a key part of the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila are like, this guy is great, but he doesn't know the whole story. So they're going to fill him in. Or he only knew about John the Baptist's teaching and he didn't even realize that Jesus was the fulfillment as the Messiah. But nevertheless, either way, he was preaching the promises and prophecies of God and doing it effectively. And he was changing people's lives, getting them to think, you know, think more about it in the synagogue. So Here, God uses His servants, Priscilla and Aquila, who are a work in progress, fairly new Christians. He uses them to teach Apollos and say, you don't know the whole truth. Here is Jesus. He died and rose again. That's the truth. Now saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so then it says, so then he wished to go to Achaia. They encouraged him. He went there. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. So now he meets up with believers. And he's like, I know the truth too. And he uses his eloquent speech, his gifts of learning. He was from Alexandria, which is a place known for its learning and teaching. So he was probably taught the ways of rhetoric. And he was a great preacher and orator and speaker. Now God is using him to preach the full and true gospel. See? But God was still using him before that because he was a work in progress. God is using Paul for almost 30 years. But Paul is still going through 
works in transition and learning and growing. And finally, we can even see it with Apollos. Because Apollos was a man that God was using. But yet, he was a work still in progress. I mean, Luke even calls him an eloquent man who was great or competent or some versions say mighty in the Scriptures. You know, some of us might think if we attain that and we're mighty in the Scriptures and eloquent of speaking and people say, man, you know, you're great at doing this. We might think that we've arrived, right? And very easily think that. But the whole point that I see played out in this passage today is that we are all still a work in progress. But yet, God wants to use us every step of the way. We shouldn't be waiting around, but always learning and growing and serving. Remember, we can't believe that or deceive ourselves to think that we have arrived, but at the same time, don't just wait and say, someday I'll be good enough for God. Someday God can use me. When I just learn a little bit more about the Bible or I learn how to pray in public, it's nonsense. God is ready to use you now. If you became a believer at 13, 12, 13, 14, whatever it was, Colossians says that you're complete in Christ, that God was ready to use you right then. You know, there's an old saying that says, God does not call the equipped, but He equips those that He calls. You see that? So He's just not calling those special Christians who have it all together because they don't exist and have all the gifts and talents and ready to serve. He doesn't just call them and say, okay, you're going to be a preacher, you're going to be a pastor, you're going to be serving in this and that capacity. No. God does just the opposite as usual. But God equips those that He calls. And so with Christ, you have all that you need to get started. But just keep moving. There's also that saying, of course, it's much easier to steer a car when it's already rolling than if it's sitting still. You get moving, you get learning and growing and serving. See? And God will use you. But all the time, you are a work in progress. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with that comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. It's a very simple principle that we need to understand. As God teaches you something and you go through it, take the opportunity for God to use you to go teach that to somebody else. God brought you through some kind of affliction Help others with the same affliction. I've shared many times struggles that I've had with anxiety and depression in my life. I can't tell you how many times I've shared that. Whether it's at a church or just one-on-one, and people just come out of the woodwork and say, I struggled with that too. Or my spouse or my sibling, and, and they're crying and they can't believe it, and so we're sharing about it. But if I hadn't shared what God had done in my life with that certain affliction, that thorn in my side, then God wouldn't be able to use me to bless others. Right? Claudia and I have been blessed with an awesome marriage, 26 years. And we found, especially as youth pastors, but every one of those years, even as we're growing, 
and learning to love one another and learning what it takes because we know marriages work, right? Relationships at work. But all along the way, God kept bringing young people into our lives that we could mentor and nurture, right? Perform their wedding, give some pre-marriage counseling, help them afterwards when they're struggling in their marriage and relationship and they come and say, Pastor Keith, Claudia, I think it's over. We're done. You see... But God has brought us through things that we can then share. Hey, we, we've experienced this. Here's what you can do. You see, we all have that ability. Whatever God has brought you through in your life, and will continue to do that, let God use that in your life to help someone else. Especially in that same specific thing. It says it right there in Scripture. God wants to use you for His glory to help and bless other people even as He's still working on you. Do we not know the great truth of our Christian faith? That while we were yet sinners, what did God do for us? Right? While we were yet sinners. We didn't have to clean ourselves up. We didn't have to get right with everybody around us and and look right and dress the part and do all that just to be able to come to church. God tells us very clearly, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. See that? We are all a work in progress. I want to just share briefly these, um, just a few verses. You can write down the reference. They're going to be up on the screen, but hopefully these will also kind of encourage you. These are, these are related scriptures to what we're talking about. Then I'm going to end with one particular. Then I have a video to show you. It's about an eight or ten minute video, and I think it's really going to help to um, to shed some more light on what we're talking about. And I think it would be a very simple way for us to move then right into sharing the Lord's table together. So here are the verses. And we're going to share this video and just watch this video together and take it in. And then we'll end our time together with the Lord's table. Philippians 2.10 I am sure of this that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Don't give up on yourself because God has not given up on you. 2 Corinthians 3.5 Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's certainly no coincidence that all these verses come from the Apostle Paul. Who even doing mighty works for God was himself Always a work in progress. Didn't Paul have a thorn in his side? Didn't he beg Jesus, beseech him to remove it three times? Jesus said, no, let my grace be sufficient. It's because he's saying, you're a work in progress, I'm working on you, and I'm never going to be done with you, so just let my grace be sufficient. And I'm going to end with this one, which will lead us right into the video. Ephesians 2.10 You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them.
You are God's workmanship. I've said it before. You know what that word means. The true meaning of that word in the Greek, workmanship, means masterpiece. That you are God's masterpiece. That He made no mistakes. He created you just the way He wanted you. But from this point on, when you commit your life to Him, He says, now let me work on you. Let's watch this video together and then we'll end our time around the Lord's table. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, (laughs) but I want to be His masterpiece. I want to be everything He created me to be. And so I go to Him in prayer and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of Your Son, Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh, why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh, okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe... Four to five, maybe eight lines right here. That would be awesome. You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, You compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Time out. (laughs) I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? 
I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um... It's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things or life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish. It's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever going to hear is at the end of your life, when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant, that's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning. I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um... I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning... And I look at him in the mirror. And I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. 
And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh, my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello. Oh yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say? that you love me even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times did I hear you say you want to use me and I feel so useless if you'll take me then use me then God I give you all that I am take me I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a a prison. But look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. No, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life... The way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece.